Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 3, Episode 9, Slapstick. Uh, as always, I'm joined by one Robert Sutt. Yeah, all right, to, all right. Trying to get you... Happy early Thanksgiving. Yes, happy early Thanksgiving as we try to steamroll towards Season 4, which, you know, will we'll, we'll speak for itself once we get there. But um, this episode, of course, following the, you know, uh, follow the, uh, you know, following the episode of Moral Misery, Misery, which, you know, was a, you know, a, a classic. So, you know, I was really wondering how this episode would go and um, did not slow down by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> it, it did not slow down. A lot of, uh, a lot of what's going on in this particular episode First, we're going to begin with, uh, of course, it was ranked in terms of Vulture by Vulture 27th all time, uh, which makes sense. Um, directed by Alex Zareski. And uh, of course, the epigraph, while you wait for moments that never come, one Lester Freeman. Um, the theme I had was a comedy of errors. That was uh, my particular theme, and uh, we'll certainly be able to flush that out over uh, the course of the episode. So opening scene, you have McNulty being McNulty. He gets a uh, gets a call in the middle of the night from Teresa Diaschino. Of course, you know it's a booty call. This time he's on the the other side of it, as you know, as you know, normally he's one giving them out, but he you know receives one. The only problem is he has his kids with him on that particular, on this particular night or early morning, I should say. He leaves his kids uh, to go have sex with, with Teresa. He gives, uh, tells Sean, who's, his, I'm assuming, well, we know that it's, it's, it's the oldest of the two, tell Sean, you know, um, I'm going to see a lady, I'm going to see a friend, I'll be back in two hours. Uh, recite what I just said and I'm out. So he goes there, he goes to Teresa's, of course has sex, and then they discuss, you know, discuss a little politics. Of course, this is not only was this a backdrop, this season was a backdrop on war, the Iraqi war. Also, this was the year of the the uh, Kerry George, George W. election 2004, if you remember. Um, so they discuss a little politics. She uh, decides, you know, she tells him, hey, I'm not tossing you as of yet. You know, I don't, I don't have nothing to do tomorrow. And he says, I'm tossing myself. And then he starts to, you know, says, hey, well, well you know, we should try meeting when we have our clothes on. And, you know, we should try to get dinner or something. Uh, got a sense that he was, you know, starting to feel a little bit used. Um, he goes home and then watches some, some television on, you know, on uh, some of the, the David Simon uh, themes of war and also politics. Um, just a perfect opening scene as far as how just fucked up McNulty's life is. And, you know, we'll see how, we'll see that, you know, they'll, they'll show various, they'll, they'll flush that out over the course of the episode as well. Uh, as well. Um, what were your thoughts on this opening scene? Yeah, I mean, it's all of that. And then I would just add on that it's also like they're also setting up just kind of like 
the McNulty character and him kind of like having some self-reflection moments. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that this scene also sets that up. So we go to Cuddy. Cuddy, Cuddy is with the deacon. He's, you know, Cuddy, of course, is from last episode. Of course, he got he got the gym as far as he got the location. He hasn't he doesn't have to have the gym officially, but he has a location. He's cleaning up. Uh, of course, it is a Sunday. The deacon comes around on his way to church and just decides, you know, pay Cuddy a little visit. And, you know, Cuddy, you know, is feeling good about himself as well as he should be. But the deacon says, hey, all you need is permits. And of course, this is, you know, outside of Cuddy's world and says, you know, says the deacon uh, permits. Deacon said, yeah, permits. So we will see how uh, that plays out over the course of the episode. Any thoughts on that scene? Uh, set up. Omar and his grandmother. Oh, so Omar is taking his grandmother to church. Gerard and Bernard, not Bernard, Gerard and um, Sapper are uh, two of the Barcel soldiers, of course, are on, are watching, are, are chasing him, watching him. Um, we will see how that plays out over the uh, course of the episode. So we go to Stringer and the co-op. So Stringer's in the middle, in the midst of a co-op meeting and the co-op is starting to feel the effects of the ongoing uh, Barksdale Stansfield war. So they uh, they are complaining to Stringer about the war, saying that it's starting to cost them money or saying that it's starting to cost them money as well as people as far in regards to they can't, they had their peoples are feeling uh, that they can't stand on the corner, you know, thinking that they might catch a bullet uh, from, you know, from uh, one of Marlowe's peoples. Uh, so this is the kind of like the beginning of, of the co-op turning on 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 the bark sale so they start to give you those crumbs over the course of this uh scene any thought any thoughts on that uh no i agree agree yep so we go to gerard and shamrock so gerard gets on the phone with shamrock of course they're, they're watching omar and his grandmother they see him see them coming out the house heading into a cab um of course it is a sunday um stringers is still in the in the midst of the of the meeting and um they you know they get to you know shamrock they get they ask for sham they ask to call Sham they ask for shamrock's approval shamrock you know of course has to get has to get the go ahead from stringer stringer in the middle of the meeting um takes the call well not takes the call but uh gets uh gives shamrock to go ahead on to uh to go to go after Omar. So they go after Omar. They of course don't of course miss him and his grandmother. Take a you know take three or four shots, miss him and his grandmother. Uh they get away and they, they, you know hit the window, they, you know, shot the window and they get away in the cab. Uh they get away in the cab and the only thing of course that was hurt was her church crown. Uh what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting, like how, like the dynamics of like the scene kind of like set up, because it was like, it it wasn't that it wasn't that uh, Stringer didn't know that it was like a Sunday and like this is like something. Anyways, it, it, I I like how the dynamics of the scene set up to like make it not like such a like a 
clear cut like string was just wrong. Yeah, I mean he knew. And we'll get we'll get more into it when we'll, yeah, we'll get more into it. Back. But you know, to, to your point, um Shamrock said it being a Sunday and also Shamrock tells Stringer, like, yo, you know we got the drop, we got the drop on Omar, but it is a Sunday. And Stringer still would mm-hmm. Stringer still would say, you know what? Take him out. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely flesh that out. Uh but without to your point, he absolutely knew that um it was a uh church Sunday. Uh, we get to Colvin and the Deacon. So uh, Colvin has a now, you know, eclipsed a 14% drop in crime. Um, he says, so he says Hopkins security job has come through uh, and he's on his way out after and he's on his way out. So the Deacon says, hey, you're not going to finish what you started. You know, you started making some inroads as far as, you know, treat, helping these people out with, with drug treatments and, and what have you. Some of the stuff that we saw in the last episode. Um, and Colvin basically, again, to what we discussed last week, Colvin just had a plan to start Amsterdam. But there has been no plan as far as the execution and as far as the follow through as well. So if he didn't have a plan to execute, he definitely doesn't have a plan to wrap it up or follow through. He just, he, he just wanted, you know, basically using Amsterdam for him to, you know, obviously clean up corners, but also to get him to to a point to where he uh, gets to his thirty and can retire and and go go into the sunset. And the deacon basically calls him out on it and basically says, "Hey, you need to finish what you started." Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, nah, you named it. I got nothing to add. That was perfect. So we get to Freeman, uh, McNulty, and Press. Mind you, it is a Sunday. They're the only three that are in the details office. Um, Freeman and Prez are working on some undercover stuff in terms of putting a camera right next to uh, Springer, not Springer, Springer's print shop. And McNulty goes into this, you know, soliloquy of being basically, we're the greatest cops that ever walked the face of Baltimore. And, you know, we don't, you know, we do, nobody does what we do in a case. He starts running off some, some real life police names uh, Ed Burns being one of a, one of them, of course, who, who's a, a writer on the show, a, a major writer on the show, uh, along with David Simon, and basically Freeman just says like, "Hey, you know, you have to have more to this life than just being a cop and clearing cases." Um, he says the epigraph, uh, "You need a life outside this." Of course, we know Freeman, you know, has Chardine at home has the dollhouse that miniatures that that kind of McNulty was taunting him about uh that he so Freeman despite how dedicated he is to the job which he, we know he is does have something outside the job so he's speaking from experience and speaking from a, a place of, of wisdom and as the scene is wrapping up we see that uh the pit the camera pans into a picture of one B Russell, of course, we saw who was prominent back in the season two with the docs. Uh, great scene. Um, what were your thoughts? And of course, Freeman says the epigraph, says the epigraph while you wait for, for moments that never come. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, um, I was gonna say like, was it, was it also in the scene where he talks to him about how do you think it's gonna end? How do you think this is all going to yeah, end. Yeah, so, yeah, um, with the... Go ahead, go ahead. No, yes, yeah, that's, no, that's no, the no, same. He, that's the same thing, yes. 
Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, like it, I, I thought it was, it was, um, very point. Like I agree with everything you said. And then I thought it was like very like poignant. Um, and also like a big kind of like foreshadowing as well. It's like in terms of like the entire series. Um, so like, I just really noticed that. And, um, and then also, this is also example number two of just kind of like McNulty kind of like going to begin that process of just kind of like self-reflection. Yeah, it's some major, to your point, major foreshadowing for those two characters, major foreshadowing that, you know, will take basically, will take the entire series to flush out, but may that, yes. When he says, how's it going to end? Yes, that is absolutely, yeah, a thousand percent right. It's absolutely some major foreshadowing um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that. And, you know, like, you know, they, I mean, calling out McNulty for basically just saying like, look, you know, this is just, this is work. You know, this is work you, you know, basically gave McNulty his whole life in about two minutes <laughs> in terms of his police life, in terms of his, his career, in terms of his police career, because that's what McNulty, has been he's been a disaster outside of when he's doing police work uh, when he's working a case um so great scene uh well played by uh both freeman uh clark peters and also uh dominic west um we go to slim charles gerard and sap they're back at the uh the funeral home waiting of course to face punishment from avon um and Slim Charles rips him a new one, basically, in terms of violating the Sunday truce, um, saying that, hey, you know, not only did you violate the Sunday truce, you didn't even, didn't even hit, didn't even kill Omar. So, you know, you didn't, nothing was accomplished, basically saying that, you, you know, you're messing with Avon Barksdale's reputation. Um, and again, yeah, basically gives them, you know, gives them a mouthful. And what, what the scene showed is, again, in contrast to Stringer, it shows that Avon and Slim Charles are on the same page versus Avon, of course, and uh, and Stringer. So, um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, so we go to Omar, Kimmy, and Dante. Um, of course, Omar is all up in arms, almost you know, almost getting shot, and almost having this more importantly, almost having his grandpa, grandfather grandmother uh, killed behind uh, his actions and he you know he's feeling guilty from that standpoint he also is is is, is equally as angered by the Barksdales coming after him on, on a Sunday morning tells Kima uh, Kimmy I should say that you know he's coming after Stringer and both Stringer and Avon that they both have to go and she says she says you know what fuck this I'm, I'm out I'm in it for the money we were doing east side, you know, east side corners and getting easy money. Now you want to go back to, to Barksdale. So she's out. Dante says, hey, you know, it's me, just me and you now. And you know, Omar just says, nope, it's just this one is just about me. And uh we see um we see that scene play out. Omar, of course, explains to them that I was gonna let them, you know, I was I wasn't even gonna come back on them. I was gonna after what happened to Natasha, I was gonna let I was gonna leave the Barksdales alone, but now, of course, that fire has been reignited to go after Avon and uh, the rest of the Barksdales. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? 
Yeah, this is exactly what this scene is set up to do. It's set up to put Omar right back with the uh, right back against the uh, Barksdale. So we had the detail. Uh, we go back to the detail. They're attempting, of course, to get burners to get a wire up on the burners, which will not be easy. Um, so we see uh, see a video. Of course, they have the video camera has been set up on Stringer outside his print, print shop. They see him walking into the print shop, and McNulty calls Teresa DiGasquino to try to get in contact with her. Quick scene. Um, what were your thoughts? Set up. So we have our buddy Cuddy, who is on the on a mission to get permits for his gym. Of course, he's running to every, you know, he's running to a lot of red tape. Running to, of course, you know, it's a gym, so of course it's going to be very difficult to, to you know, yeah, there's a lot of procedures and things uh, that you have to go through in regards to you're trying to open a gym when when opening something like that. And of course, this is out of Cuddy's element. And of course, he's getting frustrated by just all the red tape and all, all he's getting frustrated by the process uh, uh, of trying to get these permits. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, set up. So we get to Bernard and Squeak. They're picking out a rental car. Uh, as usual, you have Squeak complaining about, you know, saying we should go full size instead of mid size. Bernard basically somewhat tunes her out, gets the mid, you know, basically tunes her out. Or did he get the, he, I think he did get the full size. He ended, yes, he ended up getting the full size, I should say. So he does get the, he get, does get the full size. And uh, of course they're being watched and followed by one uh, signal. Um, we'll see how uh, this plays out. Any thoughts? Yeah, did, did we skip the scene where they laid out the investigative strategy? No, that that was the detail. Are we there yet? No, we're we're not at that point yet, right? Where um, Daniels uh, lays it all out to the um, to the team, and then they talk about going off to the cell phone companies. Oh yeah, no, we we went we went there with the detail, attempting to get the wires up on the burners. That's what I said. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. So um, this is just like uh the part this. This is part of the plan, and I, I liked it because it was such it was such an outline strategy, and so this is this is a big part of their plan, making sure that they have eyes on, um, uh, eyes on the burners, so that they know as soon as they go into they know which ones to put the which ones to put, so they know which ones to have their eyes on that are in circulation. So that they can get the wire up as soon as um, they can identify that it's Brody's. Yeah, yeah. Especially for the time, just a really, really clever strategy. Yeah, no, I mean it's definitely like I mean this was some definitely next level like details, some detailed shit that they were discussing in regards to this. Um, um, this I I don't it, watching television during that era. We don't I don't remember hearing anything remotely as detailed and tedious as, as, as something like this um, that they were talking about. But, um, which makes sense because, you know, you got Burns as an ex-cop. Um, you have uh, Cuddy and, um, well, no, you have Kima, Bubbles, and McNulty. So 
Um, they need Kima Bubbles and McNulty send uh, Bubbles, Kima and McNulty send Bubbles undercover to go to Amsterdam so he can pick up some product. Uh, of course, they discuss the terms as far as what he's going to get paid. And she basically tells him, you know, you'll get your money once we get our product. Um, so they send Bubbles under, we will, and we will see how that plays out. Uh, any thoughts? Yep. Another another part of uh, the strategy, putting uh, Bubbles in play, so they, they know what the lay of the land is. So you have Daniels and Perlman go to battle with the wireless company. Um, so the wireless company, they know that, you know, they know they have drug dealers, you know, who are buying their phones. Um, Perlman, you know, initially they were only going to get around to flip it to um, getting the wire up within 30 days, uh, or get the turn, get the wire up within 30 days. Perlman, of course, says, no, we need to get it. You know, obviously Perlman demands that we get it up, that they get it up quicker or we're going to, or she's going to put it out there that, that, you know, this company, um, this company not only gives their phones to, uh, you know, drug dealers, but, uh, but but also fail to help, you know, to, you know, to help bust them, to help, you know, to help put them away. So Perlman, you know, flexes, you know, starts to, you know, flexing something, flexing her muscles, so to speak, and gets them to have a five-day turnaround instead of the original 30. Um, what are your thoughts as we see Perlman and Daniels in action together? Yep, another part of the investigator strategy. So you can just see how multi-layered it is. We see uh, Cuddy and the Deacon, and we get introduced to Reverend Reed, who of course has some, has a lot of power around, has a power within the voting base. Um, they discuss the difficulty of uh, getting the permits. Reverend Reed asked Cuddy, did he use did he use his name or any other name? And of course, Cuddy, okay, this is not his world. This is out of his realm. So you know, he says, you know, he doesn't claim that he didn't use anybody's name. So you know, get to see how connected the deacon is and get to see how things are moving within the political realms of how shit actually gets done. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, uh, this is, it's interesting what Cuddy's having to go through compared to like what Stringer's having to go through. That's what I'll say. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't want to flush that out? Um, I'm trying to think. I'll 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 wait until we get a little bit more into Stringer. No problem. In this episode. Got you. So we go to Bernard. I mean, Bernard and Squeak are continue to be followed by Signor. Um. Bubbles and Amps goes down to Amsterdam. So he goes down to Amsterdam, buys drugs from Bodie. Bodie, and rightfully so, basically says, you know, how do you, have, you know, says, how do your raggedy ass have a uh, have thirty dollars? You know, have thirty dollars and 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 Bubbles again. Bubbles as clever as he is says, hey man, I've been selling these t-shirts. So it, that that was enough to convince Bodie. Bodie sells. He gets a deal on the drugs, and also Bodie gives him. Uh, he gives Bodie also the two uh, white T-shirts. So we see Bubbles in action. What a focused and but and a Bubbles with purpose can uh, looks like. Um, what were your thoughts? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, Bodhi reacts that way because Bubble to in order for the cops to uh, get them to be a re-up, Bubbles has to have a considerably more amount of cash. So it was like three hundred dollars he was asking for. Then he but then Bubbles negotiates two seventy five. Um, which then McNulty says puts another 25 in Bubbles' pocket. So like you said, we see Bubbles get a chance to go go to work, not only getting the information that the police need because he's wired, but also up in, up in the amount of money that he gets to keep. The Sapper, Gerard, Avon, of course, we see Sapper and Gerard awaiting their fate at the Barksdale uh, funeral place. We see Avon give them, uh, you know, uh, give them basically the side eye as he's walking past. They initially thought that he was going to come to speak to them, but it turns out that he he walks right past them to go see, to go pick, to go speak to two East Side soldiers who, he, of course, he's recruiting for for the ongoing war with uh, Marlo. Uh, what were your thoughts? Set up. Signer, Prez, and Freeman. Um, so Signer comes back, tells them he's been, of course, he's been following Bernard and Squeak basically down I-70 um, at these different, as you know, as they've been buying, buying the track phones, the burner phones, reports that Bernard bought 24 phones, um, report that Bernard bought 24 phones. Of course, Freeman's hoping that one of these phones they can get up on is a connection uh, they can get up on uh, one of these phones and, and, and make that uh, make a connection to the Barksdales. And then you have, um, so then, you know, everybody, people get, you know, cops do get hungry as well. So they decide to go for, uh, you see them ask for a food order, uh, for Chinese food, or, uh, for Chinese food. And of course it's McNulty and Prez that decide that go, uh, they end up going for Chinese. And we, of course, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, of course, this is set up. Um, it just went when it was interesting when I was watching the episode and then that Chinese food, I was just like, oh, that's right. And it, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. So we get uh, there. Yeah. So we go to um, Avon and Stringer. Stringer, of course, coming back from his co op meeting complaint, you know, talks to Avon about. The, the co-op complaining about his war with Marlo um, says, you know, tells Prop Joe, yeah, Prop Joe, you know, Prop Joe is going to, you know, wanting to meet with Marlo and Avon says, yeah, you can meet with him if he brings a gun, if he brings a gun with him. And then he asked Stringer about the, um, about the Sunday truce and did he give the, you know, did he give them the heads up to go he tell him to sign off on the Sunday truce. Stringer says, you know, when I heard Omar's name, uh, I wasn't thinking about Sunday. I just, I heard that name and I just said, go on the Sunday. And basically Stringer, uh, Avon just tells him, you know, tells him never on the Sunday. We got to, you know, we have a, you know, it's, we have a reputation to maintain, you know, we got people prop Joe and other people talking about this. And then he tells them, um, Stringer tells him uh, about the, um, about the profit that they can receive from get uh, from from uh, from their dealers in uh, Amsterdam. By which, by by the way, so he asked Avon about 
putting you know, putting dealers out there in Amsterdam about so getting money off there. He's already done it. Like he's already the deal. As we as we all know, if you watch watch the last few episodes, a uh, Stringer put put dudes on there like uh, at least two episodes ago. So again, another example of them of Stringer doing things behind Avon's uh, behind Avon's back. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, so the, so yes, I mean, there, there's lots of different examples of those two, like Stringer going behind Avon's back. And, and then also is this, I'm trying to remember, is this the last scene between these two in this episode? No, no, no. no they had the scene with, you got the scene with him. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, yeah. So, so I'll, 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 reserve until we get to that scene. Um, we go to Prez and McNulty are waiting. Uh, of course, you have Prez and McNulty waiting for the food. Um, there's been some, there was a uh, mini delay with the food. So we'll see how that plays. Of course, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Perman Daniels and the FBI. So Perman Daniels, Came back from the meeting with the with with the uh, with the wireless company. They're now they're trying to use the FBI to get it, to get that five day turnaround even quicker. So the FBI said, you know, the FBI actually was was impressed with the fact that they were able to get the five days and and basically in doubted that they could even lower that number, and basically tell them, you know, we're not dealing. She and this these these were the FBI's nerve, FBI's own out of her, out of the FBI's mouth. We're not dealing with. Uh, we're dealing with terrorist terrorist action, not get not ghetto murders, uh, not ghetto murders. So the FBI, so uh, the FBI, you know, does nothing for them as far as helping them with these uh, get up on these phones quicker or put the put pressure on the company to uh, to have to turn around quicker on getting up on on the phone on the wires these burner phones. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> The wire's making an argument here and one that's not uncommon and definitely wasn't uncommon for for the the time. Um it's making an argument about big business and how business um uh interprets their uh wealth versus public uh safety. They're talking about government and the exact same thing, um, what the government prioritizes. Uh, versus what is actually um, or what could be considered like public safety and how does everybody um, uh, negotiate those priorities and how ultimately when you don't have the systems all working together, all you get is sloppy, hot messes, which then makes the war on drugs and all the stuff and all the rhetoric around it seem a little bit ridiculous. But um, there's a lot of complex arguments that are being made in a scene like this. Is is my point? So you go. We go to. Uh, we go back to McNulty and Prez. Uh, they, you know, they, they've gotten the food. Uh, Prez takes a, you know, a bite of the fortune cookie, as McNulty, you know, says, you know, jokes on about eating the cookie first. Um, and then they then they proceed to get a call from the uh, get a get a call on their on the radio. Um, they get a call from the radio that you know, you know officers need some help. They take off. 
And then as they're driving, they can, you can hear gunshots. Uh, McNulty gets out the car. Yeah, of course he has his gun on him and you know, it's kind of lurking through uh, various alleyways. Uh, Prez sees, uh, sees, sees somebody and kind of follows them with through a you know through a number of uh, a couple of alleyways on car you know with his car gets out the car and of course gets out the car and of course unknowingly shoots a police unknowingly shoots a uh, police officer McNulty catches up with him ends up catching up with him and sees that the cop identifies that it is a cop press at first of course did not know it was a cop um, until McNulty um, walks up to the body and 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 you know, touches the badge um, and, t- and sees the badge, touches the badge, and then you see the rest of the cops come on, uh, come along and says, you know, basically, you know, says that, you know, Perez, you know, shot a cop, shot and killed a, a, a black, a black cop at that. And you see the look of just despair on uh, Perez's face, which was brilliantly played by Jerome Trufoss. He was tremendous throughout the course of this episode, through the last, especially the latter part, the second half of this episode. Uh, so, what were your thoughts on uh, this, you know, kind of game-changing scene for one uh, Presbyluski? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, one percent agree with you. Just really, really well done scene. Really well acted. Um, you know, this 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 scene meant a lot at the time it means a lot at this time um as as well uh it's, I, I also i find it just incredible that this is literally like all this happens and it's like halfway through the episode like that's that that's that was that's such a uh that's such a dynamic position to put put a scene like this in there and then have more in the episode to to say and talk about it. Um yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh yeah, that, uh, you said everything about it being just brilliantly acted, brilliantly well done. There's not there's not a lot more to say than that. Yeah, Perez just has not had any good luck with guns <laughs> over the course of this of, the, of this series. Um again we'll flush out more about the uh, about uh about about press throughout the course of throughout the course of this uh, remainder of this episode, um, yeah, the detail in McNulty. So the detail. So McNulty calls the detail. Let's Kima know or calls. Let's Kima know. Um, she picks up the phone. Let's Kima know that press uh, shot a cop. Uh, of course, she's in. She's in shock, and then she takes it. She gives a look to Daniels. Who knows? Who, and they don't. Kimi doesn't say anything in Daniels, but of course, Daniels, by her knowing her as well as long as he's known her, knows something. Uh, something is wrong. So we go to Prop Joe and Vincent. So of course, we know Prop. We know Vincent, of course, is the advisor for Marlo. They meet at the Rim Shop, which is uh, one of Marlo, one of Marlo's, you know, hangouts. And Prop Joe tries to convince. First of all. Vincent asks him, you know, who are you here on behalf of? Prop Joe says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here on behalf of basically of peace. Uh, Stringer knows I'm here. Um, he, you know, he's clear about that. 
but he's trying to he gives Vincent an offer to get or get a message to Marlo saying, "Hey, we will allow you to keep your corners if you um, we want the war to stop. We allow you to keep your corners in exchange for Marlo to be a part of uh, the co-op." Vincent, you know, re, re, uh, reiterates that Marlo believes Barksdale is weak, and Prop Joe lets lets Vincent know. Do you? I mean, have you ever known Avon Barksdale to back away to back away from any to back off from anything to back down from anything? Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, we always see Prop Joe moving by, moving behind the scenes. <laughs> Always, always making a deal behind the scenes. That 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 definitely hasn't changed uh, throughout the course of this of this series. Um, Daniels in the Western District. So we see Daniels. Um, we see Daniels go down to the Western District. Of course, um, uh, Prez is in, is in the interrogation room, um, and he goes and talks to. Prez uh, about you know his next steps. Tells him he should go talk to. So tells him he should go talk to a union. Um, Prez, of course, is completely distraught, borderlining on being despondent. Um, says that you know, basically tells Daniels that he's done. Um, said and even before that, says that you know he didn't know the guy was. He wasn't angry. He wasn't scared. Um, I didn't, didn't matter whether he was black, blue, or whatever. And then he basically says, "You know, how do you know? You know, how do you know if that stuff is even in your head?" So he again, he's completely just in shock and despondent, and tells Daniels he's done. Tells Daniels that he's done. Daniel says, "You know, think about that." And Daniels, of course, tells uh, Rawls basically he says, "Someone needs to take him home. Needs to go home with him, at least for tonight. That he's on." Possible suicide on suicide watch. Very powerful scene. Well, I mean, tremendously acted by both Jim True Falls, who plays Prez, and of course Lance Reddick, who plays uh, Daniels. You know that that was a lot of that was three seasons. And this scene was almost three seasons in the making, as far as the history of these two characters. You saw a concerned, uh, you saw a concerned boss uh, look after you know somebody who he's worked with now for a long time and has grown to like. Uh, after you know, after initial struggles in the earlier seasons, um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like I agree with everything that you said. I just want to add that, um, the, like when you were talking about the part where he was like, um, you know, uh, I wasn't angry, I wasn't any of that, everything. But a, a, a important part of what he said was he goes, or maybe I did, when he's talking about, yes. like, yes. Um, not knowing if he was, not knowing if he was Black or not, and not reacting because he's Black or not. And it's important because um, the wire doesn't let their character off the hook. So we should not let the character off the hook on, on this matter. Um, and so uh, it just, it just, again, it added that, that complexity to the scene that needed to be there so that, you know, the actors just had so much to, to go off of and did not disappoint, as you said, an excellent, 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 excellent scene. Yeah, I mean, they want, you know, the writers want to give you, give the angle, like he could have shot him because he was a black man. Like that's not, 
is not that's not out of the realms despite how much we've grown to like Prez and how much he's developed as a character and also as a as a police officer working with you know working with Lester and working with other black cops within the unit he could have I mean he could have you know you you don't know we don't know and you know so but that possibility does exist so I, I, that's a that's an excellent point. and more importantly he doesn't know he doesn't yes yes but that possibility does exist so I, I completely agree with you with, with the point that you just made uh, from that standpoint very important detail to uh, point out um, so we get that uh, we get back to the detail as they try to you know cope with what just transpired and try to work at the same time. Uh, part of police work, uh, they realize they, they we see that they're up on eight phones and they are see they are looking for the Bodhi connection uh, through those eight phones that they're up on. Um, what were your thoughts on this quick on this scene? Yeah, uh, set up. We go to we get to Cuddy Watkins and Marla Daniels, so they meet uh, to discuss um, you know how Cuddy's going to get his gym. Uh, we see how much power that Reverend Reed has because because Dr. Delegate Watkins says, "Hey, Reverend Reed, you know, you know, sent you, and we, he's a you know he's a big part of a, he's a major part in terms of my voting base, a significant a significant part of my voting base. So of course, so we see that type of power, you know, th those type of moves that that he made in terms of that, and he tells Delegate Watkins he basically gives Marla Daniels." Uh, her one of her first assignments uh, in terms of constituent work, um, in terms of working with a community member trying to get something done, and it gives it gives us that gives us some some kind of breadcrumbs in terms of Marla Daniels' future as a politician because he mentions that Unetta Perkins is hardly seen, which gives you a sense of 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 you know of we kind of the grooming of one Marla Daniels. So I thought that was important in, in terms of this as well. What were your thoughts? Also, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. And then I also add that it's also important for uh, one Carcetti. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, Stringer and Clay Davis. So Stringer's paperwork on, you know, on, on, on some of the federal grants does not go through despite the $250,000 that he gave to Clay Davis. Davis, of course, says, uh, you know, this is fucked up, man. I, I'll look into this. And he's like, and then Davis, Clay Davis says, what about your light bulb? Did you get your light bulb contract? You're like, yeah, that was $30,000, but I gave you $250,000. And of course, uh, Davis says, you know, I'll look into this, keeps, continues to make excuses. Stringer, uh, again, uh, it's, it's just amazing to continue to watch these scenes between these two. And, and, for and even after all these years for Stringer not to pick up on the fact that he's being hustled and I, I don't know do you think at this point he knew but he just was confused it was like what what like what what were your thoughts on on this whole dynamic between dynamic between these two especially especially at this point um so before I even answer that question I was waiting to get to this scene to talk about um the difference between how uh, how um, Cuddy's treated versus how Stringer's treated. And then I think I'll be able to answer that question that you just asked with, within that. And so there's, there's 
there's no mistake why these two scenes are go back to back, right? Like you have Cuddy and you have um, him, him sit by the the deacon talking to Delegate Watkins, who also has um, Daniels there to fully support him. Um, in the shift, right? Like if, if we were to say like, okay, Stringer was a reformer, which he was not, but like if we were to say he was reformer and then we all, we, we already know that Cuddy, Cuddy does represent like true reform in this, in this show. Then you look about like how they go about things, right? Cuddy is living in his truth. Most of the time, like all the times and the interactions he's had up until this point, he's been like, yo, this is not my life. I don't know. I don't understand anything about this. I, he even says like, at one point I would have used the name Smith and Weston to come up here. So he's living completely in his truth. Right. And the response he's getting to that is that people are willing to help him. Yeah. for no reason outside of their own. Conversely, you have Stringer who's living lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. And part of the lie is that he truly believes he belongs in these spaces and can understand how these games is being said. One of the favorite quotes, which is already gone by, you know, we said from last episode, maybe not smart enough and maybe <laughs> the way that Avon says it and maybe not smart enough for them out there. So um, Stringer is smart enough to impress the corner boys and people put under his charge, right. but is not quite smart enough for the game out there. And so that's how you kind of like get your your fix on it. And so, no, Stringer's not confused. He's getting played. He's getting hustled because the people that are hustling him are smarter than him and also have lived their entire lives in that particular game. They're not going into his space and telling him how to do things and why things aren't. He's coming into their space and wanting to get over and they know how to take money from people like that very quickly, very easily. He's he's the perfect prey for them. Um, yeah. No, no, no question about it. Um, we go to uh, Kima McNulty and our buddy San Santangelo. So uh, Kima McNulty are in the car, um, just you know, are are in the car. And then Santangelo pulls up. Uh, they briefly discuss uh, Prez. And then Santangelo says, uh, look, you know, I'm pushing a wagon, but I'm happy. Uh, I don't take none of this home with me. Um, you know, um, making making basically the same money, working, you know, twice as, you know, with, with, with half the stress. Uh, so McNulty, again, gets another sign that maybe, you know, maybe you should rethink your, you know, rethink your, your, your you know, your life, uh, seeing someone who seemingly got demoted, who got demoted, but is in a much better place um, in terms of where he's at mentally, uh, mentally. So, and then he also gets a call from Teresa to set up a, a, a dinner. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? Uh, no, you named it perfect. That's exactly, exactly what that scene is about. Tommy and Tony. Um, so Tony tells Tommy that he's running for mayor. 
Um, and he's going to run on the premise, a platform of schools, major foreshadowing, of course. And he tries to recruit Tommy uh, to work to work next to him and basically taunts Tommy at the end of the scene saying, what else you got? What else you got going for you? Little does he know, uh, of course, Tony Little is telling Tony know that Tommy himself is going, is, is, is running for mayor. Um, yeah, I, so, like, I'm going to compare this a little bit to Stringer, um, a little bit from the standpoint of not seeing Clay Davis and not picking up on the hustle. I'm just amazed how, you know, again, how Tony never saw Carchetti and not so much his hustle, but in terms of what direction he was going in as well. Not as bad as Stringer versus Clay Davis, but close. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the implication that this show gives, and historically, it's a accurate, um, uh, uh, accurate point. Um, one that the the place where we live, the um, in District of Columbia, is the same way um, in a lot of aspects, which is different than a lot of places in the country because there's such a high African-American population, and particularly that time in um, Baltimore, um, the perception was they, that a white mayor, it wasn't possible for there to elect a white mayor. So the reason um, that the show implies that um, Tony Gray doesn't necessarily see um, Carcetti coming, neither does um, you know, uh, Royce, really believe anything um is because that uh Parquetti's white and in Baltimore a mayor can't get elected if they're if they're white. So, you know, classic uh underestimating somebody in a situation because you're absolutely right. Carcetti's playing the entire situation to his advantage. And there is, you know, there's a parallel, you know, we we've seen over the course of the season you know, with the performers and we see the parallels, you know, with Stringer and Bunny Colvin. Uh, there, you can somewhat make a parallel between Carcetti and Marlowe as well, of just kind of like the underdog that no one, no one somewhat has saw, saw coming or was even underestimated. So there's kind of, I think there's a parallel for with those two characters, to be honest with you. So we have uh, Amsterdam, Carvers at Amsterdam. Uh, now, for the first time since you know, Amsterdam has been started, you get a dead body in Amsterdam. Carver immediately, before anything is called in, you know, uh, wants, to, wants to get the body moved out of Amsterdam So, and moved uh, outside of Amsterdam. He asks Herc, Herc, Herc just outright refuses. So Carver gets two other police officers to, to assist him, says that he will take full responsibility, of course, and make the call. And, you know, this is on me. They help him. And, um, you know, they help him move the body as uh, Herc, when Herc refuses to. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is, this is where not having a plan really, really hurts. Yeah, 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 and we—I mean, we can—we completely see that. We all, we also see that you know, Herc is just not 
there might have been a time in their in their relationship where Herc would have helped him. <laughs> now, now is not. Mm. I think I think moving like, the bodies is now is a bridge Herc, too far. I don't know, Herc. Season one, Herc might have. Yeah, season one, Herc was yeah. moving about. That's that's Herc's point. Like that's how he knows it's out of control. Yes. When you got Carver saying, "I'm going to move a body," so it's not necessarily like Herc has risen. It's that Carver has sunk. Sunk, yes. Low, yeah. very, very low. No, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. So we go to Herc and Calicio, um talking about, or briefly talking about Prez. Uh, they're reading the newspaper on it. I'm assuming this is, of course, this is the day after. So they're reading the newspaper. He's asking Herc, did you know this cop or did you work, you work with him? And they have a brief conversation about Prez. And then Herc decides, basically says, you know what? You know what? This shit's going too far. Uh, the cops around him thought, thinking that he's talking completely about something else. But in regard, but in, 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 you know, but he's talking about, of course, Amsterdam and, and the movement of the body. And he goes and calls a newspaper uh, newspaper person to go tell them about Amsterdam. Um, what were your thoughts? Yep, yep. This is this is everything starting to hit the fan. Big scene. Uh, Avon, Brianna, and Stringer Bell. So, uh, of course, the revelation last week with you know Stringer. This is all, of course, on the heels of Stringer of Avon finding out that Stringer. Had D'Angelo killed, Brianna also being talked, spoken to by McNulty. So Brianna comes in and basically, you know, asking questions about uh, about D'Angelo and about her meeting with McNulty. Uh, she comes into basically a, a empty room, so to speak, because no one's talking. Um, Stringer is, 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 remains, remains stoic and Avon has his head has his head down, as has his head down. And um, when they do start speaking, they basically, you know, Avon basically says, you know, hey, you know, the police, you know, there's nothing to it. And, you know, yeah, Stringer say, you know, police get paid to lie. And then she, she initially was talking to both of them, but then the conversation shifts towards her and Avon, where she goes next to Avon and pleased with Avon saying, hey, if something went down in prison, you know, just let me know. D almost, he almost was about, to, he almost rolled on us, but he came close to the he came close to the edge, but he was willing to do what he was going to do for this family. And he, he then, Avon then gets it in his head that she is, is accusing him of, uh, of somewhere accusing him of hurting D, D'Angelo. And he snaps basically and says, you know, I couldn't, you know, you know, what's in your head? You think I could have did that to my own kin? And then of course, Avon slips and says, I ain't have shit to do with it. And, and at that point, Brianna knows that they're not telling her everything, that something happened. Doesn't know quite exactly what happened and who did what to who, but she knows that something at that point, he says, when he says, I ain't have shit to do with it, she says, with what? And Stringer tries to cover it up and says, you know, whatever happened, but at that point it was, too late. Brianna knows that something is wrong, and she walks out the room. And yeah, very, very. Uh, the Barksdale. Those three were were the Barksdales. You know, these three. You know, they were the heart of what the Barksdale stood for. And these, and at this point, that that has been completely demolished with this one meeting. 
powerful scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can see all the dynamics there. Um, she doesn't trust Stringer at all. No, no, um, no. And, um, and then the last shred of trust she had for Avon is then gone. And then um, we already, well, Avon and Stringer, we, we know they're not in a great place. Um, so you're right. I mean, it's just, it's just, you just, that was, that's it. And that was the last, that was the, that's the bark. That's how the Barksdale, that trio ends. There's nothing within that scene where you're like, oh, this group is going to get back together and be happy. No. Um, so yeah, that, even at the time without even knowing anything else, I remember being like, Ugh, yep, that's, for this group <laughs> that's, that's the end of that um yeah 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 but great scene everything else you said absolutely echo that just awesome it. to see those dynamics and you got the out. sense you got the sense that avon wanted to tell her in the worst way that he wanted to tell her that that stringer did this um but you go of course you know he's not going to do that he's not going to do that um but he kind of he kind of threw he Kind of threw Stringer under the bus when he said, "I ain't have shit to do with it." He got like, he, like it was. I mean, it, it, he's 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 talking all the talking, but like though, like you know, what what is she gonna do worse than what Avon was supposed to do when he found out, right? right? So it's like it's like what's the point of of getting like telling her, telling her? Um, but I agree that he wanted her with as close as possible without telling her to know he didn't kill yes. um, yeah. D'Angelo. That is very important he to wanted, him. Yeah, that yes, is very wanted, important he, to him. He wanted to accomplish that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah. So we go to- yeah, answer, as, close, as close as possible. As close without telling, yes. Yes. Um, we go yeah. to um, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, I should say, with Colvin Carver and the police. Um, of course, Colvin, uh, the police find out, as police would do, should do, that her body was moved. And uh, yeah. not, 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 only, not only there was a blood trail, they left case, they missed cases. So cops aren't good at being uh, criminals um, <laughs> at moving bodies and, and, and covering up their evidence. So it, that, there was no way that that, was, no. <laughs> that, 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 that was not going to um, come out. Um, so Colvin basically says, look, I'll take the heat for this. You didn't move the body out. You know, I moved it. Um, and the police, um, and uh, of course, the, again, the police find out, the police know that that body was clearly moved. And Colvin, of course, is, is of course, is, is upset because he, you know, the whole idea of Amsterdam was to have no violence. And you have violence within Amsterdam. Of course, that is not a good look, especially doing something that was already that's already illegal on to begin with. Uh what were your thoughts? There you go. Yep. That's that's it. If if bodies start dropping, he gets found out. Yes. Yep. And um so we go to Tony Gray, Carcetti and Delegate Watkins. Uh, you see them trying to get money for the witness assistant pro protection program. 
Um, uh, you also see Watkins talking. You also see them having a conversation about Royce as well. Um, so Tony Gray thinking, you know, thinking that he's making moves, feeling good about himself, without of course knowing about you know Carcetti's intentions. Um, and, and we get to see more of how powerful and important Delicate Watkins is. And we'll certainly see more of him throughout not only this season, but throughout the course of the rest of the series, to be honest with you. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, set up. So Colvin goes to back, we get back to Hamsterdam. Colvin talks to the dealers, basically gives them an edict in terms of finding, hey, you can either find, find me the shooter or we're gonna close, or I'm gonna shut down Hamsterdam, which is, you know, basically, you know, is is one of those okay? Is one of those threats that he just has? He has to say something. He has to he has to say something to try to shake some trees to try to get, you know, get a shooter. Um, and he talks. As a matter of fact, he talks to Carver afterwards and says, Carver says, "You think that's going to work?" And then he says to Carver, oh, "Do you think it? What, what do you think?" Um, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, set up. We go to McNulty and Teresa DiGaschino meeting at Georgia Browns, which is a, you know, I, I still think they had Georgia Browns. And I wonder if Georgia Browns still open in DC. I'm not sure, but I, at one point, Georgia Browns was a very famous restaurant. Um, I've never been there. Very famous restaurant in, uh, in DC. I think it's in Northwest DC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so they're having dinner there. Um, they, of course, don't have much in common. Um, they started discussing politics. Uh, he says, McNulty says he didn't vote and then tries to almost, almost tries to pretend like as if he kept up with politics, which, which we, which we don't, none of, none of us believes that he did. Uh, he does make one poignant uh, observation in terms of saying that, you know, the government wouldn't care about West Baltimore or if it, you know, unless, unless Air Force One crashed on Monroe Street. So, that you know, that was a message being sent by David Simon, of course. And she, throughout the course of the exchange and throughout the course of the dinner, looked just completely uncomfortable. Um, uh, completely uncomfortable. And so similar to the Barksdales and Stringer, after you watch this scene, you probably think to yourself that this relationship is not going going much further. Uh, what were your thoughts? I this this is the next part of kind of like the McNulty re, reflecting on on his actions. Yes. Yeah. So we have Stringer and the Barksdale soldiers discussing this Hamsterdam Hamsterdam shooting. Um, they we find out that the guy that the kid was shot because he made fun. The guy laughed at his shoes. So Stringer puts into order, you know, basically had to have this dude to have the kid turn himself to turn himself in. What did you make of Stringer's interest in Hampshire or you can't say right now? There, there was a no major interest. I, I, I looked at that scene very closely because I was like, why? What? And it was just like, literally, it was like, he asked, is this boy, is he connected to anything, anybody for any reason? And it came like, nah, he, even the crew, he had only been there like a couple of months. So there, there just wasn't, there wasn't any reason not to do it. 
So we get to the young man who walks in the police station and turns himself in for the Hampshire uh shooting. Um, that was a, again. That was a quick scene. Um, so we, you know, see Stringer's orders uh, carried out, um, and then we get to McNulty as he's leaving D.C. And again, McNulty, to to the points that you mentioned earlier that we've discussed, was uh, in heavy self-reflection uh, mode as he leaves uh, Washington, Washington D.C. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. The- Reflect, yep, reflecting. So finally, the episode ends with Prez going and Prez Walewski going into a empty detail office. No one, you know, by himself, lights off. All you can hear is, you know, computers. He's looking around. Um, perfect way to end the episode. Uh, what were your thoughts on, you know, him being in an office by himself? Um, not, I mean, not not so much of like the him being in office by himself, but like symbolically what it what it means. Um, and it it it's it's tough to talk about this without being able to talk about other things that are long reaching. But this is a pivotal moment in the show, and it was it was very uh, interesting to look at how they how they brought this moment together because like you said it was peppered in like throughout other seasons and then when it culminates it's it's not like the a storyline in this season so it's it's just such an interesting spot but i think it needs to be that way in order for what happens with him to happen um that's probably as much as i can say about that with without getting into too much and so then let's just talk about his arc up until this point in time and like you said like we it, this he went from one of the bumbling idiots um of the first season uh like the, the two drunken cops to one of the uh better realized minds of the detail um and we saw that growth and we saw the journey which makes it not feel like a cheat because we saw what he had to go through and what not what he had to go through, like all the different steps that it took for him to get to that, that place. And not only that, but, but it's how they also set that up for him to also take it forward as well. Um, Just a really well done middle arc of a character that is one of the most powerful characters on the show. Yeah, they. I mean, they're, they're completely. They, we, we, they. Knowing what we know is going to happen, is they're absolutely, of course, playing chess uh, in terms of this, um, because it is like this is very uncommon to be this late in the season and to have this storyline just kind of like pop up. Or this, or or a character, and he, you know, he at this point, Jim Trufoss was not a a starring was not a um, he was a recurring character. He was not in the starring cast at this point. Uh, well, the, I mean, don't misinterpret. Like, like this is like at this point in time, he's a fully developed character. Like he's he, fully, he, he is, is. No, like, he is. No, he this is. This is. This is. This is a. 
fully formed, you know, very impressive arc right now. Um, and so, the, like, the, they did their they did their thing even without what we know is going to happen, even right at this moment, right. which with I felt like was and to, to your point, it's not out of nowhere because they have held they they've held this character's arc over multiple seasons. All right, I'm done. Yeah. So this time, um, in terms of themes, I mentioned a comedy of errors. We saw just you know saw the body you know body being moved out of Amsterdam, Amsterdam. We see, you know, oh, we see Omar, a failed hit on Omar. Uh, and then, we, of course, we see a tragic era with a cop being shot by another cop. So um, that, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it was just a number of just critical mistakes that were made over the course of this episode. And all three of those mistakes that were made have just incredible like the incredible impact on the rest of the series like this was not like you know coming off an episode that you um this is what makes the wire just you know the best i've seen shows have big episodes like the previous episode and then kind of take a break in the next episode with kind of like a transitional sewer for lack of a better term better term throwaway episode this was not that in whatsoever. I mean, the course of wire doesn't doesn't it does doesn't it doesn't do throwaway episodes. We know this, but this I mean, this was a in terms of thinking about what's going to happen moving forward. This was a pivotal. Just a, I mean, this I can make a case that this episode was just as pivotal as last episode. To be honest with you, considering what you, these three things that happened and the ramifications that will come about with them. Uh, I know we can't expand on that, and we'll we'll see it as we move along with the episodes. But this was, you know, impressed with this episode from the standpoint of of to follow up in what was a I, I thought a, a a iconic episode previously um, shows you the you know the depth uh, of this show. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. Agree. Who'd you have for your uh, MVP? Prez Belutsky. Yep, I 100% I agree. And of course, who'd you have for the Chardine? Uh, Prez and Daniels. Yep, hey, we got, I think this is this is the first time we had both the same, yeah. Yeah, I think this might be yeah. the first time we had yeah, both yeah. the same. Yeah, I mean, it this was, was, it was undeniable. Easy. I mean, yeah. you, point, you pointed it out, you pointed it out, but man, just like, when McNulty's over the cop and pulls the badge up, the look that at just the look on Chris's face is everything. Like yeah. you know, you know me. The no words. No, Woo! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he told a story in that look that was just it was it was fantastic. Exactly. And then then, like you said, that Daniels and Prez scene, like Daniels, it was it's wild because it was like, we know the animosity they've had towards each other and we know Daniels has definitely been like, he's not worth anything <laughs> to no. me. I mean, he's caught me. And then for him to be... For Daniels. <laughs> yeah, but then for him to be that kind and that 
fatherly. It was like a fatherly yeah. big brother yeah. boss that cares. Like it was like all those things at once. Man, yeah. Very, yeah he's extremely, time. extremely. Yep. Yeah, extremely empathetic in that moment was Daniels. Um, yes. Yes. He like I, I think you know I think you know I thinking about that think about that that's why I had to, I had to give it to both of them because Daniels was tremendous in that scene too because um, there wasn't a lot of words being said those just the physical presence mm-hmm. between those two actors as Daniels is standing up mm-hmm. and he's in presence sitting down that kind of like in that you know that in that yep. space it was it was it was just it was just yep. tremendous and I think with Daniels. Um, if you're loyal to Daniels, if you ride for like if you you don't gotta kiss his ass, you ain't gotta do nothing. But if you're if you're good at your job and loyal to loyal to Daniels, he will ride for you. Like he's loyal to his people. You see with Kima, how you know how he, how he brought her up and how you know things of that things of that nature, and you know, he respects uh Lester. So at this point, if you're loyal, like if you Daniels will ride with you as as a boss, as a boss, I should say. So He's gotten to that. I think also, like, as just as we were, like, as we were talking, like, I was thinking, like, you know, like, what was also great about the interplay between the two of them was remember early in season one when he shot up the car and they they shot up the car and, um, and Daniels is like, you know, sternly giving him the lines to say, right? Yeah. And in this, you got to turn around in this one. He's trying to give him the lines to say, but like in like a caring and just like, come on, like just work, like these are the things to say. And then like on the opposite side of that, like in the first one, you got pressed like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right, okay, da, 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 this is what I need to say to get out of this. And this one, you just got him completely defeated. He's just like, I'm done. I'm not, li- none of it. I'm not lying. I'm not anything. Um, You know, I'm just, no, I'm done. Like, I don't know. Like, 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 nah, I don't even know if I saw the, the nah, I definitely didn't say anything. <laughs> like, it was just like, yo, he's just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. It's just, yeah. That scene was everything. I, and I, we left this part out of that scene. <laughs> I forgot to mention uh, at the end of that scene when Daniels walks out, Valchek, of course, who, you know, father-in-law uh, tries to say, well, you know, you being his uh, commander, can you, cover for him and say, cause, because of the black thing. And Daniels, Daniels looks at him like, motherfucker, and just keeps walking. I love that. I love the fact he blew up, didn't even barely acknowledge Valchek. <laughs> because it's just like, Valchek, you start, like, you're like, he's grown so much. Like, like, Prez, that's just like what we're talking, Prez has grown, Prez is so far beyond just like trying to get out of this and like everything like that. Like he's taking full ownership of everything, and here's his Valchek still trying to just get him out. Play the of politics, yeah. Play, like, the, yeah. Play the politics. Like, oh, number one, and then number two, Daniels in his mind is like, "Yo, I'm worried about whole boy's life." Right. Did you hear yeah. what I just yeah. said? Exactly. Like, I'm worried about his life. Right. Yeah. And you see him talking about trying yeah. to get him out of yeah. trouble. It's, it's like, that. come on now. Yeah. Like, but anyway, yeah. But everything, like, no words. It was just in that look. Yeah. No, no, he just looked at yeah, He didn't say anything. He so good. He looked so good. So good. That was a no, that was a tremendous that 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 was a a just a, a perfectly shot scene and just like the just just enough words. Just enough words not to like too much talking with a too much talking that scene doesn't 
doesn't it doesn't play out as well. You just you, know, you need it. You know, you need it obviously Daniels to you know to try you know to say something and to try to like coach him so to speak. But he it was just perfectly just it was just enough to where that scene hit you know you know knocked it out the park uh, for that scene. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So um, we are on to episode ten. Reformation uh, come next week, uh, come come later on. Uh, next time you hear from us, it, again, another, from here on out, you know, these next three episodes are all just knocked out the park. I mean, these are gonna be three big time episodes, including one that, you know, I, you know, I have my own personal feelings on, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But now, you know, moving forward, these next three episodes as we head towards season four will be uh, definitely uh, be some haymakers in these uh, next three episodes. Uh, one last thing before, before I let you go. No Marlowe in this episode in terms of visually, you didn't see the character, but his presence absolutely was felt throughout the course of this episode. So that I I had to mention, I forgot to, I had to mention that. You know, they didn't, you didn't, we didn't see Marlowe this episode his presence was definitely felt uh, without question. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast Why Remix. Uh, thank you to Rob Sapp. All right, sir. Be safe and healthy. Yep. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. I will see you next time. As always, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, www.youtube.com slash Real Deal Podcast. I will have this podcast up before the night is over, I promise you. So this podcast will be up before the night is over. So stay tuned, stay on the lookout for that one. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, well, Turkey Day, I know a lot of people don't like to call it Thanksgiving, but have a wonderful day with your families and I will see you next time.